0: Y'all can grab a seat. (laughs) Good morning, Harvest Huntsville. How are we this morning? Good, good. By the way, I have the privilege of working with Jesse who gave the announcements. If you're wondering, like I did when I first started to get to know him, like, is he always at that energy level? I work with the midweek. He's a human red bull. Like, I kid you not. It's such a joy working with him on staff. Well, listen, we're continuing our series called Encountering Jesus. Now, if you don't have a Bible here with you today, please feel free to raise your hand because we're going to be going through this passage verse by verse. We want to see what the Lord is saying uh, and how he's, he's revealing himself to us via his word. And so in this series, we've been discussing encounters with Jesus, different New Testament accounts of individuals that encounter Jesus. We've seen broken people encounter Jesus. We've seen self-righteous people encounter Jesus. We even went through the temptation of Jesus Christ from Satan himself. Today, in this passage, we're actually going to be watching two encounters with Jesus at the exact same time. The title of today's sermon is called The Posture is Important. The Posture is Important. So I used to live in Virginia. And as many of you guys know, I'm not exactly the outdoorsy type. And so I lived with the heavyweight wrestlers of Liberty University. So what they practiced during the day, they used on me at night. (laughs) Now, they were big old southern Alabama boys. So they would take me on a hike. So first of all, you're witnessing the first miracle. Matt is on a hike in the woods. And so the heavyweight wrestler, my friend Judson, he runs into the woods. He comes back. He's got this big snake. He's like, hold this. So I'm just like, all right, whatever, I'm holding it. The snake is angry, its fangs are out, it's trying to bite, all that kind of stuff. Now, in Canada, I don't know about y'all, never really had to worry about snakes. So I just kind of let that knowledge transfer to the States where it doesn't transfer. (laughs) So there's a couple of hikers coming down the path, and they just see me, and they just stop. And so I'm holding a snake in this hand, I'm like, hey, my name's Matt, (laughs) right? And they just stop, and they start backing off, and they're like, Matt, you know what that is? (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's a snake. They're like, no, 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 Matt, Matt, that's a cotton mouth. And I thought, oh, that's cute, cotton mouth, right? Soft, fluffy, (laughs) like, you know. Matt, one bite from that, and it it has the potential to be able to kill a human being. Suddenly, how I viewed and handled this snake instantly shifted. Where I was handling it lightly, not really caring, suddenly, my posture, like, right now, instantly, my respect increased for the snake. And I think I can say it in this context, and maybe I'll get canceled. I threw it, and you've never seen a white man run so fast in your life. (laughs) It's kind of like the same with dogs, isn't it? Right? Like, I love certain dog breeds, and there's certain dog breeds I just don't respect. Right? Like, and how I see the dog breed really changes how I approach it. Right? Like, there's a way that I'm going to approach a mastiff, and this guy, this 180-pound dog, he's going to have my respect. I'm going to approach gently and sweetly. If you own a Shih Tzu, I want you to know I love you and I don't respect your dog. (laughs) You ever seen a pack of wild Shih Tzus in nature? (laughs) No, they wouldn't make it. We're constantly adjusting our posture before what we're in front of, aren't we? And I believe it's no different with Jesus Christ. What we're about to witness out of Luke 7 Is two people with two different postures before Jesus. And one leads to power and the other leads to nothing. Now, I want to start out with a question that I want us to wrestle with as we look to how the text is going to answer, and it's this What is the posture that Jesus is looking for in us? What is the posture that Jesus is looking for in his children? Am I apathetic and I don't care? Am I, am, I, am I reverent and in awe? Because make no mistake, like we look in these, this passage, we're seeing two different postures. I want you to know that your posture here today matters because it's gonna directly influence your intimacy with Jesus Christ. And so before we dive into the text, would you pray with me, church? So God... We're stopping after a busy week, and we're having a still moment before you right now, God. We're about to look to your text. Holy Spirit, make it real. Lord, would you have something for the men and the women who have come here today? And God, where we're broken, would we see the power of that posture? And God, maybe we're numb and we're apathetic. Holy Spirit, would you you sweetly woo us to a different posture, not from shame or condemnation, but out of your great love for us? I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me try and move forward. Every time I get behind the pulpit, it gets a little echoey. All right, hopefully that's going to work a little bit better. So we're going to be going through this passage verse by verse. So let's start with this. My first point, if you're a note taker here today, like my wife, is gonna be this. The posture is important. Broken versus indifferent. The posture is important. Broken versus indifferent. Look at verse 36 with me. One of the Pharisees asked to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So I wanna pause and just say, we start to see right off of the bat, Jesus came to save the broken, and he's equally willing to even meet with the self-righteous. Why? Christ is desiring to save all. Now in, we're in Luke chapter seven, but if you actually go back to Luke six, verse seven, you're going to see Jesus be very calculated in this meeting for a specific reason. Luke six verse seven says this, "And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, meaning Jesus. So they might find a reason to accuse him. So what you're about to see is a savior put on display knowing that he's dining with the very very person who's trying to entrap him. The Pharisees specialize in trying to get something on Jesus, an accusation and a statement. And so here we see this Pharisee is inviting Christ into his home. Now let's look at verses 37 through 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and then wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So pause, when you hear the phrase woman of the city, you can conclude here that she's most likely a prostitute. And so understand the cultural context of this dinner. They do dinners differently than we do today. These types of dinners were actually open to the public. So that there's individuals sitting at the dinner table, yes, but the public was allowed to come in and watch these dinners take place. It would be unheard of, unheard of for a prostitute to come into public here. This woman trying to get to the feet of Jesus is risking everything. Insult, shame, and being scorned. Her very presence there is going to most likely subject herself there. And yet, who's she there for? The feet of Jesus. And now we start to see here in verses 37, we see this woman risking everything. And simultaneously, we see a a Pharisee who's going to give very little respect to Christ over this dinner. Notice her reaction in these verses. Did you see it? Once she's in the presence of Jesus, she begins to weep. This weeping is symbolism for brokenness, repentance, and simultaneously joy at the same time. I love how John Calvin puts it. It can only be a forgiven sinner who knows the true meaning for the sorrow of sin. It can only be the forgiven sinner who knows the true meaning of sorrow for sin. And here this woman begins to press in even more. Her presence is unheard of, but now watch her actions be put on display. She's going against every cultural norm. She's going against every form of cultural respect. She lets her hair down to clean the feet of Jesus. I want you to know women did not let their hair down in public during this time. And so here, she's risking insult, shame, being scorned, and here now she sees that she's wetting the feet of Jesus with her tears, and she lets her hair down. She is doing every culturally relevant grail of no-nos, and she's just doing them just so that she can be at the feet of Jesus. And here, what's she doing with the feet of Jesus? She's not just wiping the feet of Jesus. She's kissing the feet of Jesus, which is a sign of deep reverence. Only slaves dealt with the feet. No master of a house would ever deal with feet. Slaves dealt with feet. And by the way, think about it. It's a sandal wearing society. Feet are probably a little bit grosser back then. And then what does she do? She takes this expensive bottle of perfume and she pours it onto Jesus's feet. You ever stop and thought, how does a prostitute pay for expensive oil? How does a prostitute pay for expensive oil? If you were witnessing this take place, you would be shocked at what this woman is doing. So we really see right off of the bat. There's this indifferent Pharisee that pays little to no respect of Jesus. And there's this broken woman who's revering Jesus at his feet. We see the two postures. But now my second point is going to be this. The posture is important, important. How Jesus enters each posture. You're about to see one Jesus Act very differently to two people at the same time. By the way, you're about to see Jesus make this dinner extremely awkward if you were there. Look at me with verses 39. Let's start with that. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Do you see how many accusations one Pharisee made in one private thought? If you only know who and what type of woman this is. And equally, he's making a statement about Jesus there. (laughs) This man was a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would know. Now, I want you to look at some very important language right here. It says in verses 39, he said to himself... Commentators agree this was not spoken out loud. So you just saw the private private thought life of a Pharisee and it's disgusting. And so Simon says to him, oh, if this man were a prophet, he wouldn't be doing that. He would know who and what sort of woman this is. She's a dirty sinner. And he says this to himself. Watch Jesus flip dinner in verse 40. And Jesus said to him, Simon, so now the Pharisee has a name. His name is Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher, pause. You're about to witness Jesus answer his private thought life. What Jesus is about to do by answering Simon's private thought life, by the way, is a very private insult to Simon going, I'm gonna show you more than a prophet. A prophet would know your thought life, sure. I'm gonna end this dinner and I'm gonna make a statement way higher than a prophet. And so here Jesus starts to push in. This is where it gets awkward. If you're dining with Jesus here at this table, this is where you start to slow sip your water. You look to the left and to the right and you'd be like, the tone just shifted. Watch Jesus, verse 41 through 43. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So Simon answers The one, I suppose, whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said, You've judged rightly. So really what Jesus did was he used this story, this parable. And by the way, I love the parables for this reason. So much of Jewish tradition relied on written and oral tradition. So much of Jesus' teachings are taking the written and oral traditions, and he's building upon them through illustrations. And so here Jesus uses this rather insulting parable, And he points it at Simon and he goes, I'm using this parable to show your lack of love for me and her abundant love for me. And this this parable also, it has an interesting focus if you look at the language. The point of the parable isn't the nature of the forgiving person. The point of the parable is the response of the debtors. Do you see that language there? It's geared towards how each person reacts when they're released from a debt. And and it's interesting, Is Jesus. He just trapped Simon. Simon's response, you can see he's being calculated back to Jesus because he knows the parable is going to be aimed at him, I suppose. It's kind of like an athlete's apology. It's never really an apology, though it's technically kind of correct. And here, the very Pharisee that's trying to entrap and accuse Jesus at a dinner, he's now been stalemated by Christ, by Christ answering one of Simon's own private thoughts. Now, verses 44 through 46 continue. Go there with me. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, and it's beautiful because he's looking at the woman, but he's still addressing Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Right there, Jesus paralleled the three responses of the Pharisee or lack thereof to the three responses of this prostitute. Do you see it? Verses 44, it was customary after a long journey to wash the feet of your guest. Simon offered no washing of Jesus's feet, even from one of his own slaves. But this woman, not only does she clean his feet she wipes them up with her hair. Verse 45, it's common to greet a guest with a kiss. With a kiss. Simon offered no greeting. This woman won't stop kissing his feet. Verse 46, anointing a guest with oil is a sign of respect. And did you see how Jesus actually insulted Simon a little bit more? It's subtle. You did not anoint me with oil. He's referring to olive oil, a cheap substance that you could acquire anywhere. You didn't anoint me with oil. What did she anoint him with? The expensive perfume. So he's essentially saying, not only have you not shown me the respect, you didn't even show me the respect with the cheap stuff, and yet she's pouring out everything that she has. Simon as a host has postured himself in a unique way in front of Jesus. And Jesus continually is putting Simon in his place. He's showing how far Simon is. He might be at the same table with Christ, but he has no relationship with Christ. And he's simultaneously going, you know, this woman who shouldn't be here, this woman who's risking everything, this woman who people are witnessing or kind of like gossiping about, you know, this woman who just let her hair down, you know, this woman who is just trying to approach my feet, she's showing me everything. And I love it. You know why? As Jesus is pushing one back, he's continually drawing one in. Show me one verse in this passage where Jesus flinched at this woman. It's not there. He makes himself abundantly available to her the entire passage. There's not one time where Jesus pulls his feet back. There's not one time Jesus is going, oh man, you're making this awkward. There's not one time that Jesus rejects her, but he abundantly welcomes her. And so we start to see, even in the third point, the posture is important. Why? Why? It's either going to be powerful or it's going to be powerless. Look at verses 47 through 50 with me. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were able, then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see the skill of the shepherd of Jesus Christ in that passage right there? He doesn't dismiss anything. You're right, her sins, which are many. He's not dismissing an ounce of her past but he goes, your sins, which are many, you are forgiven. Suddenly this woman who should have no audience, this woman who should have no access, this woman who should be shut out from this dinner, now is becoming the main point of this story alongside of Jesus. And I love it because Jesus forgives this woman and states how great her love is for him while saying to the same time, Simon, your love for me is pathetic. Simon, you know why you love me little? You really think you only need a little forgiveness. Wow, doesn't that just sound like today's culture where we've been able to even spin sin so that it's not even sin anymore? And so we're here going, yeah, that Jesus, you know why I don't love him that much? I don't think I really need him that much. I don't think I've done that much wrong. Man, I want you to know, I love you enough to say it. If that's your thought life, I want you to know you're the Simon of the text. But if you're here and you're broken and you're like, man, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. I'm going, you're the woman of this text. And that's the safest place to be in this text because you'll never be the Christ. That office is reserved for one Only, you're not it. But you want to be the woman of this text. Why? She knows she needs forgiveness and Christ extends her much forgiveness. And then Jesus really, he starts to he starts to see between these two interactions. Do you notice how he states only one is forgiven? It's like the clean one he doesn't say is forgiven. But he states to the dirty one, you are forgiven. It's not the person of influence that Jesus is focusing on this dinner. It isn't the religiously clean one that Jesus is giving all of his time to. It's the broken prostitute. And then Jesus says something in verse 48 that is pretty blasphemous to a religious person. He looks to this woman and he goes, Your sins are forgiven. I want you to know, in a Judaic society at this time, this line is only reserved to the Lord. To utter those words is a claim to deity. Your sins are forgiven. And what I love is that Jesus again is doing another dig on Simon. What did Simon say at the beginning of the passage? <laughs> this man, were a prophet. Jesus goes, I'll read your thought life. I'll address your thought life like a prophet, but I'm gonna, make a, I'm gonna make a statement here. Your sins are forgiven. You know what he essentially said when your sins are forgiven? He was simultaneously saying to this broken woman, you have relationship with me. And at the exact same time, he, he's going, I'm gonna show you that I'm the one that the prophets prophesied about come on. And so you start to see in that moment, he's going, Simon, you're lowballing me. You're lowballing me. You're lowballing me. And you put me into a cute little category where you're trying to ensnare me. I'm going to silence you at your own dinner. And not only am I going to show you that like, you're right. I'm, I'm not a prophet. I, I'm, I'm more than a prophet. Why the office of prophet talked about the coming Messiah. Jesus is that Messiah. And so Jesus makes us Bold claim in front of a bunch of people. And he goes, woman, your sins are forgiven. You have loved a lot. Simon risked nothing to have Jesus there. And he showed no reverence. And he got nothing. This woman, this woman risked everything and showed reverence, and showed Christ, and she postured herself in a way that showed Christ the respect that he is due. This woman gained everything. The eyes of the Lord are so different than man. Isn't that wonderful? Christ doesn't care about people of influence in the sense that he sells out to them like my heart would be inclined to. Christ doesn't care about people of power in the sense that he tries to sell out to them like my heart would be inclined to. Christ doesn't care about people who have control over society and sell out to them like my heart would be inclined to. And I'm going to push in gently here, but can I just say it? I love reading like psychology journals and counseling journals and all these different types of stuff. Been reading a lot of journals about COVID and the impact of COVID on the church. And so many of the articles are like so many people have fallen away because of COVID. If we're not careful, we're going to misplace the blame. COVID cannot cause people to walk away. You know what COVID did? Through a horrible two years, it revealed our heart posture. Why? I don't even understand the signs of COVID, not even going there, but I know one thing scientifically. COVID cannot touch what you treasure. COVID cannot touch what you love, but it will reveal it. You can fake it for a few weeks, but two years in, It's going to reveal it. What's your posture towards Christ? In your heart of hearts, if it could be drawn out, if I could read your thoughts like Christ, like the Pharisee, if you could read mine, do you position yourself as a person who's been forgiven of much? Or do you position yourself like a person who's only been forgiven of a little. How you approach him, it's gonna be your litmus test. Are you half-hearted? Do you give Jesus a table scraps of your life? Watch out, Simon. Perhaps the most dangerous thing in your life is your familiarity with Christ without bowing a knee. What if your religious familiarity of Jesus that pairs with no reverence and no awe and no worship, what if your knowledge of Jesus and not knowing Jesus might be one of the most dangerous things in your life? But equally, the other posture. Are you broken at his feet? Are you lowly but giving him everything? Knowing some of the testimonies in this room, are you being broken by life circumstances and still worshiping him? It's probably one of my greatest joys about being in the counseling room with you people, is that I hear these life stories of just people being crushed, and yet they lean in with worship. They don't pull back from the feet of Jesus. They lean in all the more. how do we know that the Lord takes our posture seriously? As I end on this, go to Isaiah 66. Matt, I'm not a person of influence. Matt, I'm not a power person of power. Matt, I am, I'm just lowly and broken. Camp in Isaiah 66. You're about to get a cheat sheet into the heart of the Lord. Isaiah 66, verse one. Thus says the Lord. So let's all perk our ears up a bit, right? If it was thus saith, Matt, take it with a lot of grains of salt. But here it's like thus saith the Lord. So let's perk our ears up a bit. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand is made and all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Verse one, not gonna lie, hurts a little. The Lord's like, Matt, what do you have that I can't give myself? Matt, what is the house that you would build for me? Anybody who knows me would go, no house, right? I don't have a single callus on these puppies. They're beautiful. I met a new person today that's already narrating on how soft my hands were. It was pretty insulting, right? But I was like, oh, God bless you, right? (laughs) Whatever. I can't build the house for the Lord. The Lord's like, what do you have that I can't do myself? Really, if you wanna relate this to Luke 7, he needs neither the Simon nor the prostitute. But he's desiring. How do we know this? Verse two. But this is the one to whom I will look. Here's a cheat sheet into the heart of God. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. You know what I love about the heart of God? He's not looking for material or skill. He's looking for a posture of heart. He who is humble, he who is contrite, meaning broken, and he who holds my word high. None of those are skills, but every one of those is a heart posture. What is your posture today? Are you familiar with Jesus, but not paying him the respect and reverence that he's due? Can I just encourage you, even if you're starting there, Don't try harder to get out of there. Start with sweet repentance. God, I'm stuck. I'm numb. And I feel like I just don't even care about your presence. I don't feel moved. Forgive me and meet me. If you're broken and you find yourself at the feet of Jesus, can I just encourage you? Stay there. Because there's a lot in our peripheral lives that we don't know when we don't understand and we don't know what plays out. But this woman risked everything and she gained everything. Is your faith costing you anything? Where is your humility? Where is your contriteness? And what's your posture to the, to the word? And if you're like, Matt, I have a hard time gauging, audit your last week. Did the person of Jesus have any time in your calendar? Is it a relationship that, if we were to audit all your other relationships, is it one you treasure? All I know is God meets us exactly where we're at. And if you want to start by being broken, because you're a Simon, he'll meet you. If you're already broken, and you find yourself much like this woman, he doesn't flinch away from you, he leans in all the more, church, our posture is important. What is your posture before him? Let's pray. God, there isn't a time when we pick up your text that we cannot see your goodness. You are so gentle and safe with the confused, the broken, people who just feel trampled. And you make yourself so available and you're so gentle and you are a God of much forgiveness. So Holy Spirit, wherever we are today, whether we're finding ourselves kind of like a Simon or whether we're finding ourselves like this woman, I pray for the men and women that are in front of us would both come to you. And Lord, I thank you that you have paid the debt of our sins on the cross. You have given us new names. You've given us new identities. And if some of these hurts in life is driving us to your feet, then Lord, would we cling to those feet? Hold us close to you as we're navigating what we're navigating, God. And Holy Spirit, I ask, would you show us our posture? show us where we just don't care show us where we we welcome you into our life like simon does which is just half-heartedly and holy spirit sweetly convict us and bring us back under the umbrella of you i pray this lord in the name and the blood of the messiah jesus christ